Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm here. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so blessed to be here, to be in this kind of place. I am grateful that there is a place like Urban Village that seeks to ignite the city that loves Jesus and that sees that Jesus loves and made everyone, every one of us, to be exactly who we are. Would you please pray with me? God of grace, God of surprises, God of wonders, God of mercy, God of new beginnings and big plans, please help us to see today in ourselves and in one another your body, your goodness, your love. Help us to connect to one another, to see how we need each other, and to go forward stronger together. Amen. Amen. I'm a big uh, fan of stories. I love stories. Most of us do. Uh, I'm a, a little more obsessive than some, I would think. Uh, I love stories on TV. I love stories in movies. I love stories in books, especially. <laughs> Um, my family's moving now because I have this new gig, right? So we're packing up every single thing that's in our house. And uh, I've been hearing a little bit uh, from my partner this week about the fact that we have 1,300 books, just mine, <laughs> not including his, not including his. Um, so, you know, logistically, that's a challenge. Logistically, that's a challenge. But I can't narrow it down um, because who would I throw out? Whose story would I throw out? Would I throw out the Harry Potter? Would I throw out the House on Mango Street? Would I throw out the Roberto Bolaño or the Richard Wright? Or which story? All of these stories have made me. All of these stories have taught me. All of these stories have changed me inside. And who would I get rid of? <laughs> who would I leave behind? I love stories. I'm not alone in loving stories. The sociologists, the neurobiologists indicate to us that there's something about storytelling that um, hooks human beings in a way that's different from anything else. We're storytelling machines. We're storytelling creatures. There's nothing that teaches us quite like a story. There's nothing that moves us quite like a story. I think that's probably why Jesus told so many, <laughs> right? Um, something I like to say about the way that certain folks in our community, beloved children of God, but ones with whom I disagree, um, talk about the Bible as if it's an advice column, right? A series of great pieces of advice. Um, but most of it is stories that have some great parts and have some confusing parts um, and have some, some parts that are hard. Stories, because that's how we understand, that's how we connect, that's how we move through and enter the world. I think part of stories moving us is that each one of us has one, one of our own, and then they are the way that we connect to each other as it is said in the scriptures, as a part of one body. Not the same, each of us different, right? Some of us are ears, some of us are nose hairs, some of us are toes. We each have our own story, but, but we are a part of something bigger. And through telling our stories, we hear it and we see it and we feel it. There's a poet I love, um, Muriel Rookeiser, who says that the universe is made of stories, not atoms. And I think it's probably both. <laughs> I 
the universe is made of stories, and if we ever come to a day when the science is good enough that we can communicate with those atoms, with those quarks, we will hear them telling a story of what it means to be two things at once, of what it means to be a part of something bigger than yourself, of what it means to make things and be things. So I love stories. It's part of why I love so much that at the heart of urban villages worship is a time of testimony a time where anyone in this community can tell their story, whatever it is, and tell it truly, and tell it whole, and tell it real. Whatever's going on with us, whatever we're feeling, we can tell that story. To me, our stories, our human stories, are some of my favorite scriptures. Books God is writing in the world of what God is doing, and of how hard it can be, and of how good it can get. So testimony, story. I thought then, since this is our first time together, the beginning of what I hope is a long journey, I'd tell you my story. I'd tell you my testimony. Like the old song says, this is my story, this is my song. This is my story, this is my song. This is who I am, I offer it to you. And I hope that in response, I'll hear some of your stories in the time to come. We'll get together and we'll share them. And we'll start to build a greater story together of what the church can be. My story starts in a non-religious family. I was raised without any religion, without any church, without any temple, without any anything. Uh, my mom was raised Catholic. My dad was raised Lutheran. But like a lot of folks of their generation, of my generation, of every generation, uh, the church had bored them, not particularly moved them, burned them, hurt them, and people that they loved. It hadn't been a place um, that felt like it was necessary or where they felt like they needed to be a part of it. And so they had stopped years before my brothers and I were born. They raised us with some great values and a wonderful life. We were taught to be generous. We were taught to serve. We were taught to value diversity. Um, but we weren't taught anything about how the world worked. We didn't have any faith commitments. I met religious people sometimes. Um, when I was a kid, we lived in Japan and Hong Kong. So I certainly remember the dudes in yellow robes who would bang gongs right outside of our door. They seemed cool. Um, learned later they were Buddhist monks. They were very nice to us. Um, we went to Shinto temples sometimes. We'd write prayers on pieces of paper, time on a string. But besides those occasional encounters, um, religion and faith wasn't something I knew much about. It wasn't a part of my life. When I was 10, we moved back to the United States to Champaign-Urbana, Illinois greatest metropolis of them all. Some of you may be familiar with it. A few hours south of here. Um, and it was there that I met my first Christians. Or I should say, I met my first people who I knew were Christians. I would find out later there were a lot of great people I knew who were Christian, but they didn't talk about it all the time. Uh, and the ones who did talk about it, I have to say, uh, Jesus did not have great PR in my life. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus did not have a great rep in my life from these first encounters that I had. Uh, they were several, and they were various, and you'll hear about more of them, but I, I'll never forget one of the first times. Uh, I, a, I was in sixth grade. I was in social studies, and my social studies teacher did a profoundly stupid thing, um, which is she was like, hey, we're doing the World Religions Unit. I'm going to name the world religions. And when I name the one that you're a part of, raise your hand. 
Um, so I think she thought that we were like being a Benetton ad and celebrating diversity, uh, but actually we were targeting people based on their religion in a sixth grade classroom. Um, and so we go through all the religions and people raise their hands and I don't raise my hand for anything because I'm not anything and I haven't heard of anything. I'm just sitting there quietly and then the girl next to me um, turns to me and says, you're not any religion? I said, no. And then she said, well, you believe in God, right? And I hadn't really ever thought about it, and I didn't really, um, but I was 12, and I understood what the correct answer was. So I said, yeah. <laughs> um, and she looks at me, and she goes, oh, good. Super sweet. Oh, good. You're not going to hell then. And then turns back. And I just sat there like I had been smacked or hit. Like, I just didn't. I mean, she was nice, but whatever she had been taught, that I somehow had done something wrong without even knowing that there was something right to do. Right? I was lost before I had begun to play the game. And they were small, right? They weren't the worst encounters you can have, but every encounter I had with someone who called themselves Christian was like that. It did not make me feel like I wanted to be a part of it. It didn't really make me feel like I could be a part of it, like I would be invited. Until... When I was a teenager, my parents did a strange and mysterious thing <laughs> that I still don't fully understand, but that I am forever grateful for, which is they decided that their children should have choices about spiritual life and faith commitment that they had not had when they were younger, that we should be exposed to more than they had been. So they found a church in their town um, before the days when you could Google inclusive church, <laughs> as I know many of you found Urban Village that way. Before those days, they kind of asked around, found a town that was the least likely to say anything bad about them and anything bad about anyone that we had ever known in our whole lives. Um, and we started going. And we went for a year or two. And for them, it didn't take. You know, it, it wasn't right for them. It didn't move them. They still don't go, neither do my brothers, but for me. For me, it was like a fish finding water <laughs> for the first time, something I didn't even know I needed, and it was all of a sudden surrounding me. The first couple surfaces, don't get me wrong, I was extremely suspicious and on my guard. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not singing words to those hymns unless I know exactly what they mean, and I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> oh, oh, these stories you are telling, please give me a timeline. What, <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, but over time, Every time I heard a story of Jesus, it made my heart jump up into my throat. I was a part of this youth group that um, went to a homeless shelter and served people, and we would talk about the big things that were going on in life, about our struggles, about loneliness, about bullying, about poverty, about race, and it felt like deeper and richer conversation than I was having anywhere else. When we sang, it felt like something was there. I knew God. And I wanted to be a part of this Jesus thing, <laughs> of this thing that I saw. So I asked to get baptized and confirmed, and I did. And I did. And I didn't realize until later how unique my experience was. Um, because when I got baptized and when I got confirmed, those first sermons that I heard, those first songs that I was led in, it was in a community um, by a pastor who introduced me to Jesus, who was an openly gay, mixed-race man leading a totally LGBT-inclusive, multi-ethnic congregation. That's the first church I ever went to. First church I ever knew. Only thing I knew to be church. 
still the only thing that makes sense to me is church. <laughs> but at the time, I thought that that's how more of it was. Um, and it changed my life. It changed my everything. And as I went on, as, as I grew, as I saw more things, I saw different versions of the church that were more painful, that were more hurtful, um, that I did not want to be a part of, but I always had that first vision of God, that inclusive God, that radical love God, that God made us all, God loves us all, God. And I held on to it through every other thing that I saw. In a fervor of faith, uh, after high school, instead of going to college, I moved to the Mississippi Delta, um, where some of the poorest counties in our nation are, and also where many of the hardest fought battles of the civil rights struggle happened. We were 30 minutes away from where Emmett Till was murdered, where Shorner, Cheney, and Goodman were murdered. We were where Freedom Summer had taken place. And we, uh, I moved with a few friends in intentional Christian community uh, to work for a school and to work for Habitat for Humanity. And there, my whole head flew off. I learned so many things. Um, but what I saw of the church were churches, black churches, that had lived out church in the midst of that struggle amid extraordinary danger fighting for justice, acting on what was right, declaring that they were human in the face of huge opposition and working to make the world more equitable for everyone. But I also saw churches where racism had been made into an idol next to and above God, where white supremacy was the theology of the day, where people had been encouraged in their racism at the pulpit, where people in the pews were KKK members and murderers, and that was considered a part of their civic duty. <laughs> Those are the same churches. There are churches now that are preaching another message of hate, resulting in transphobic bathroom bills, in supposed religious discrimination laws, right? Those, those churches exist, and that was the first time I saw them. And I don't know if I could have seen that and had my faith survive, if the first church hadn't given me that big vision I could hold on to, of a God who made us all, of a God who loved us all, of a God who was with us all. I saw the bad part, but I had I had, had this vision painted, and I, and I could hold on to it. I also had the personal stuff, right? I had gone to an evangelical youth group, and they had taught me that um, you pray to figure out the right path, and then there's the right path, and then you get on it, and then it happens. Um, and I had picked, right, I had picked a job, I had fallen in love, I had done all these things, and I thought that that was going to be my path. And then my heart got broken, and God called me into ministry, and I was like, wait, you don't pick one thing when you're 16, and that's how it is your whole life. <laughs> and I don't know if I would have survived that if I hadn't had this image painted for me of a God who loved all, a God who was with all, a God who could handle any change. I went to college, I got my first job, I started working right here in the city of Chicago. I went to the University of Chicago, and a lot of what I heard from my friends there, great friends, good people, was that religion was invented in a cave by desperate people who were afraid of death, right? And they just couldn't handle living. And so they invented this God thing, right? That it was a neurobiological defect of fearful people. <laughs> Not an experience. I don't know if I could have heard that and kept in faith if I hadn't had this vision painted of a God who made all, a God who loves all, and a God who is with us all the time. So through all that, through seeing all that, through seeing all of the crappy things that the church can be and that life can be, I held on to this vision 
of an inclusive God, of an inclusive church, a God who makes all and a God who loves all. And I believed in it for other people. Because here's the thing. That whole time that I had been learning and growing, becoming an adult and working and learning, being a part of the world, I had a big secret. Something that when I tell you about it may seem um, like a really normal thing, may seem like something you have known, but to me, seemed like the most terrible, most terrible secret that I could hold. And it was just this, that I hated myself, that I hated myself with a profound and deep hatred, that even though other people were good and God loved other people, um, I was worthless. I was worse than other people. I was less lovable than other people. And I couldn't admit that. I couldn't tell anybody that. Um, because my worst fear was that if I said it out loud, they'd look at me and say, yeah, that's true. You are worse. You are worthless. You are unlovable. We've been polite about it this whole time, but that's what we see in you. I didn't know what to name it. I didn't know what to call it. Um, Violet, you mentioned Mental Health Awareness Month this month. I have mental health challenges in my whole extended family, but in them it looked so dramatic, right? People with psychotic breaks, people committing suicide, and me, um, you know, I went to work. <laughs> I went to work, I had friends. I had moments of joy, and so this haunting voice of worthlessness seemed like something I should just live with that I would go through whole days and then come home and I would have had fun and I would have had good stuff, right? I don't want to give the impression that this was all of my life, but I would have had good stuff and then I would come home and I would just make a list of all the things I had done wrong, of all the things that made me feel guilty, of all the things I should be ashamed of. And I wasn't telling anybody any of it. I was just living with it because I felt like that was the only option. Thank God, a few years ago, thank God, it got so bad, got so bad that just living with it wasn't an option anymore. It got hard to get up in the morning. It was something I had to force every day. If I could force getting up, I had to force everything else that happened. Um, I was in pain a lot of the time, and I was crying at everything, just everything. And I had to start telling people because it had become the choice was tell people or die. <laughs> and so I did. And I did all of the things that I would encourage any of you to do if you're ever in that place or a similar place. Um, you know, I called a doctor, called a therapist, got some meds, did great stuff. <laughs> great, great stuff. Not for everyone, but for me they did. Um, but I did something that has had an even more powerful and lasting impact on my life, which is that I started to tell the people around me. I did the thing that I had always been so scared of. I told my family, I told my friends, I told my church. And every time I told them about my suffering, every time I told them about my feelings and my pain, I got, yeah, me too. Or yeah, my friend. Or yes, I'm so sorry. And I love you. 
I got the love um, that I had been saying was a part of God for so long, that I knew with my head was a part of God for so long. I couldn't believe with my whole self that it was real until I got it from people's hands, from people's mouths, from people's bodies. This is another reason why the body of Christ, right? We can say to ourselves over and over again who God is, what God is, that God loves everyone. But until we really receive acceptance from a person, from a person who is a part of that body of God, until we are shown love by a person, a person who is a part of that body of God, it doesn't become real. We need it from people. We need it from flesh. We need it in our lives to feel that love and that acceptance and that joy and that inclusion. And that's what I needed. And that's when I knew inclusive God, not just with my words, but with myself. I think that that is a big part of what Urban Village is, a place where we declare that even though it's not easy and even though it doesn't always happen, this is a place where we want people to find that. The body showing them real love in real time. The body showing them real acceptance, not just in words, but in deeds and in friendship. This is what the body of Christ is, a place where we can be safe and whole and accepted. And it's not just that. The thing about the body is, within our community, right, it becomes a place where we can be seen, where we can be a part of this thing God is doing, where we can be whole and happy and loved. But then outside of this community, it can be something even greater. It can be what the great Cornell West said, is what love looks like in public which is justice. Because we are not only a part of this body here. We are a part of the greater body of the church universal and the body of the world. And many of us, many of us, have been told the words that the scripture says can never be said, which is, oh, you, I don't need you. Oh, you, you're not a part of the body. Many of us, whether it is for our sexual orientation, our gender presentation, our racial identity, and the fact that we will not be silent about the racism we experience, whether it's our mental health status or our immigration status or our personality or whatever aspect of it, of us, that the powers and the principalities and the systems and the world tell us is wrong and tell us is not enough and tell us must be ejected from the body, God says, no. <laughs> No part of the body can tell another part of the body, I don't need you. No part of the body can tell another part of the body, you don't belong here because we do belong here. And they are going to have to deal with it. This is where telling our stories and telling our songs and telling our stories and songs loudly and proudly comes in. That when we say, I am a toe, right? They cannot say that we do not belong. When we say, we are queer and we are here, that is us saying God is queer and God is here. And you cannot deny that we are a part of what God has made. That when we tell our stories, when we tell them true and out loud and we say black lives matter and the world has not seen it and the world is gunning us down and the world is setting up systems that tell us we are not human beings, when we tell that story, that means that God is black and beautiful. 
and that they cannot deny that we are a part of what God has made in the world. No matter who we are or what we have been, God has made us and God has knitted us into this fantastic body. We are asexual, we are intersex, we are lesbians and gay, we are transgender. We are genderqueer, we are black, we are white, we are Latino, we are native, we are indigenous, we are Asian, we are Hapa, and we are mixed. We are everything. We are all that God has made. And when we stand here and when we tell our stories and when we sing our songs, the rest of the body better hear that we're not going away, that they can't tell us they don't need us, and that we are not ever going to be ejected from that body which God has made and called good and called great. By declaring our place and by declaring our story, we force the world to recognize what love and what justice look like in bodies. It looks like everyone. It looks like a God who knows us, a God who made us, a God who loves us, and a world that can one day live like all of that is true. You guys have learned, I think, these last four months how much it takes to be the body of Christ in the world, how much it takes to be a church, how much it takes to show love, how much it takes to live justice. In a time of transition and change, some of the hardest times to hold on to who we are and what we want to be, you have kept going. You have declared the story of a bold, inclusive, relevant community. And so I want us to take some time to thank that and to honor that. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say, rise up in body or in spirit, and then I'm going to name some stuff. And as I say that, I would invite you to rise either in your body, or some of us, our bodies don't rise. We can't stand, we don't walk. Um, so we'll rise in spirit in our souls. So rise up in body or in spirit. If you served on the transition team, if you served on the transition team this year. Rise up in body or in spirit. If you attended a protest, or if you signed a petition, or did an act of justice with Urban Village Church these last four months. Rise up in body or in spirit if you served in the band or sang these last four months. Rise up in body or in spirit if you told your story loud and proud, whatever it was, in the face of opposition from your family, your friends, or your community these last four months. Rise up in body or in spirit if you created a work of art that made you feel closer to God and closer to one another. Rise up in body or in spirit if you were a liturgist, if you gave testimony, if you ran sound, if you attended a worship service at any point in the last four months. Rise up in your body and in your spirit. If this is your first time and you are hearing of a God who knows all, loves all, and includes all, rise up in body and in spirit because it is going to take all of us. There is not one of us who is not a part of the body. There is not one of us who is not loved. And there is not one of us who is not needed to transform the world into the world that God imagines. One of love, justice, and inclusion for all, where none of us are afraid to tell our stories, where none of us are afraid to sing our songs, and where the world hears that song in its fullness and its beauty. All of us together, being who God has made us, to be. For this we give thanks, each other, the body, however we are held, however we are found, 
and we pray that we might find the love and acceptance we seek not only here, but that we might build it in all the places of the body that don't know it yet. Amen. Amen. Let us sit together.